Welcome to episode 129 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jinstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every Every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in 
in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 129 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? Well, I am fabulous. I am completely unpacked with all of the things that that I have to unpack, like my bookshelves are all organized, it's all done. And the only stuff left to unpack is I have some things in the garage that I've got to take to Goodwill or put in the attic. And then, of course, there's my husband's stuff. He's not quite as done as me. <laughs> but like, like we say in the Facebook groups, keep your eyes on your own plate. I am keeping my eyes on my own closet, and he will eventually figure it out. I mean, I'm kind of crazy about I can't relax until everything's put away. So, yeah, I just work like a mad woman nonstop till it's done. But I did it. Wow. I'm very impressed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I used to be able to unpack in one day. Like before we had kids, we moved frequently. This is a long time ago. But I would have everything put away before I went to bed the first night. That's kind of how I roll. Of course, now it took me a few weeks, but it's done. I also want to make an announcement that I haven't announced on the podcast yet. And it's been killing me because I first announced Cal's engagement on the podcast and then they eloped August 10th. And so they have been married (laughs) since August 10th and I've wanted to talk about it and I could not. It is so exciting. The pictures were beautiful. Oh, yeah. They went to Maui, and it's so funny. We love Kate. She's just, she's beautiful inside and out, and her parents eloped. So I think this is just pretty much, she's like, oh, you know, you elope when you get married. That was like her dream, I guess, as a little girl. But they're not very wedding-y. Cal called me before they went, and he said, we're thinking about eloping. And I was like, oh, you know, rethink it. I would love to be there. And then he's like, well, we're thinking about it. So then they... That Saturday, right after that call, there was a FaceTime from Cal, and I said, oh, I bet they're married. (laughs) I answered it, and sure enough, but it was funny. He said, we got eloped. I'm like, okay, we got eloped. (laughs) And they were FaceTiming me from the beach in Maui. They went over there, and they planned it all. They had a wedding planner that they hired and who arranged someone to marry them on the beach at sunset and a photographer. And it was just beautiful. And so I wasn't allowed to talk about it until they had the photos because they wanted to announce them with the photos. So it was really hard for me because I have a big mouth and I like to tell everybody everything about myself, but (laughs) yeah, it was beautiful. And it was just the two of them and the photographer and the wedding officiant. And so, yeah. And then other funny story for listeners, Since I'd been developing my app with Cal, I had just happened to message him, I think like when he was in Maui. And so I knew that he eloped and then I brought it up with Jen and she was like, how do you know? (laughs) 
I know, because he told me not to tell anybody. I'm like, what? How do people know? And I'm not allowed to tell people. But Melanie knows? Yeah. That was so funny. (laughs) Oh, I also have to brag about one thing. He has a new app on the app store called Photo Map. Have you looked at it? I haven't downloaded it, but I saw it and it looks fantastic. Well, it is. It is so good that the app store featured it. Like they put it on their Facebook. Like they're like, check out Photo Map, like the actual app store. And they also tweeted about it, like his app. So I'm like, that's pretty exciting. I don't think they do that for everybody. (laughs) It's such a good app. You see it and you're like, I can't believe that doesn't already exist. It pulls your metadata out of your photos. I don't know if that's the right wording. Sorry, computer people, if it isn't. I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm not a programmer, but it knows, you know, how your photos know where they were taken because it's stored in there. It assembles them all and puts them on a map. And then you can choose between what photo you want to have featured for where you've been. Like if you've been to Italy, it has all your Italy pictures there and under Italy and you can pick which one it displays. Yeah, it looks amazing. I'm going to get my sister to download it because that is so up her alley. Yeah, they have travel map apps. That's a kind of a tongue twister, but none that work with your photos. So I was like, I just, you know, you feel like everything good's already been invented, but no, there's still more, (laughs) lots more. There was some funny saying like from the early 1900s when they're like, well, we think everything's good's already been invented. We're done now. And, you know, to think about how far we've come in that hundred years since then. That's so funny. Yeah. And then he's also updating my current app, Foods and Guide. So we're adding in some heavily requested compounds. Well, good. Yeah, because that app compares different compounds and foods that people are often sensitive to. That's an app that I thought would have already existed and it it didn't. So adding some very, very heavily requested compounds. I'm just having to go through some research to verify all my sources and stuff, but it should be up pretty soon, hopefully. So that's exciting. Awesome. Yay. 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 Oh, can I tell you a funny story, Jen, or an interesting story? I would love to hear a story that was either funny or interesting or both. (laughs) You know how we talk about the power of the mind and influencing our physical bodies and the placebo effect and everything. So I went to the doctor like two days ago to get a lot of blood tests, which... (laughs) That by itself was funny because it was a conventional doctor in the conventional medical system who was clearly there just to, you know, prescribe pills and diagnose, prescribe. So I was asking for all these different blood tests and he didn't even know what half of them were. But the good thing was he was down with whatever I wanted to test. He was actually kind of perfect for me because he didn't care. I asked for, especially for like the thyroid, for example, Okay, this is a true story, Jen. So you know how we had that episode with Elle, Elle Russ, about the thyroid? And she talked about how it's really important to test all the different thyroid hormones. So free T3, full T3, free T3, reverse T3. I asked him to test all of those, and his responses were... First, he tried to tell me that some of the hormones were the same thing. And I was like, no, they're not. And then when I asked to test reverse T3, which is basically the thyroid hormone that blocks the active thyroid hormone, he just looked at me like I had two heads. And I said, do you know what that is? And he said, no. And I said, do you want me to tell you? It's kind of important for thyroid patients. And he was like, no, it's fine. What else do you want? (laughs) And I was like, okay. So in any case, I had all of these blood tests to draw. So when I went to go get 
them drawn, it was a lot of blood. And I typically get faint when I have blood drawn and nauseous. And like, I just, I don't do well, but I've been reading all of these studies about how your mindset and your perception and your anticipations of things affect things. So I told myself, instead of thinking, oh, I'm going to get nauseous, I'm going to get faint, I'm going to see this as empowering as they're drawing out like toxic blood (laughs) out of me. I felt fantastic. I didn't get nauseous once. I didn't get faint once. I actually felt amazing while she was drawing the blood. And then when she stopped drawing the blood, I was actually kind of sad because I was like, take more. (laughs) I'm glad that made you feel better. And the thought of, you know, feeling empowered instead of nervous made a change. It's just so telling because I've had blood drawn a ton and every single time I almost faint. And this time I felt amazing just from that one mindset shift. That's good. I do want to, in the defense of that poor doctor that (laughs) didn't want to know, I think that they are so overwhelmed right now with the way practices are going that they just probably see the same things all the time and they have to just do what they can to move us along, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I still think, well, a general practitioner has to know so many things. The body is so complicated, you know, but the thyroid is so complicated. Even endocrinologists may not know all the ins and outs of the latest what's going on. So for a general practitioner, it's pretty, I mean, there's pretty specialized. There's just, the body is so complicated. Anyway, that was my, my two cents plug. Yeah, no, it's true. And I was grateful that he was open to letting me test whatever I wanted. That's what I was most grateful for. Cause I was kind of anticipating pushback, like, oh, you don't need to test that. But he was kind of like, he was just like, okay. And then when we got done, he was like, when you go get it drawn, if you want to add anything else, just tell them. Yeah. See, that's great. He he knows he doesn't know all the things and that's okay. You can't. I love that he was open to doing what you wanted to do without feeling like, I think sometimes when we someone asks for something we don't know, we might be defensive. Like he could have been defensive about it and like tried to say, oh, you don't need that because he didn't know what it was. But instead he's like, all right, we'll do that, which it says a lot about him. Yeah, it's true. I think it says more about the system because you know, they're allocated 15 minutes. And so he did not have time to waste for you explaining that to him. He had to go on. Yeah. But I think it's a travesty still, because I think when you are going to a doctor, you're wanting to go to somebody who can help you. And I think in that situation, especially if the doctor isn't passionate about learning more about the different things, regardless I think it does a big disservice to a lot of people because they're going to conventional doctors for help. And a lot of them may be super helpful, but then there are going to be some who are not going to be well-versed in everything. And it's because of the system. It's frustrating. My sister works in healthcare and my Saturday morning group that I go to with other people who do intermittent fasting, we meet and have coffee. And a lot of them are in healthcare as well. The people that are in healthcare are 10 times more frustrated than we are. The whole thing is is designed in such a weird way. It really reminds me of education, the same kind of struggles that we had in the education field they're having in the medical field, whereas like the only thing that matters is a patient survey or that they don't come back. You know, <laughs> Weird, weird things are being measured. And so the people in the healthcare field, I think, are just super duper frustrated, too. Something's got to give. We got to have some kind of change. Anyways, shall we jump into our questions for today? 
Yes. And we have something from Laura and the subject is healing process. And Laura says, I previously wrote in regarding not seeing any changes after doing one meal a day for a bit. Still no real significant changes happening after continuing for six months. Not even sure if I'm getting into ketosis. No metallic taste. I do squeaky clean fasts, usually 20 to 22 hours, only water. I will say that my eating window is not as clean eating as it should be. Probably 10 to 15% quote bad. My question is about healing. Is that something people just say or is there any actual process that is happening? I understand glycogen stores, autophagy, and heard about gluconeogenesis. Do you only burn fat after that? And can you be in ketosis but not burn fat? Thank you, ladies, for all that you do. Laura. All right. So great question from Laura. So this is actually really appropriate timing. I am currently reading, talked about this last week, but David Sinclair's new book, Lifespan, (laughs) Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. And oh, Jen, it is so amazing. I'm so obsessed with it, but I think he probably has a section on fasting specifically, but just in the part so far, he has mentioned fasting and all the health benefits and really has focused on like the healing aspect of it because basically something he talks about a lot is how, you know, our bodies are either in growth, reproduction, that mode or the repair mode. So when we go into fasting, that's when we really do enter that healing, that repair mode. And that's when we stimulate things like stem cells and things called sirtuins, which are responsible for going around and and really cleaning up a lot of the messes and fixing a lot of damage that occurs in DNA and just repairing the body overall. And so that leads to reduced inflammation, things like Laura mentioned autophagy, which that's where the body breaks down old proteins in the body that are building up and causing issues. So Laura, it is an actual process. <laughs> it's not just limited to autophagy. Like I said, it also includes things like those stem cells, those sirtuins. It's very, very cellular and definitely something happening in the body. And fasting is one of the best ways to activate that. There are other ways to activate it through various fasting mimetics. So plant compounds and also things like cold and heat stress or exercise, but there are different hermetic stressors that do activate this healing process. So, yep, it's definitely a thing. I wouldn't even say that it's so much dependent on glycogen stores as just that fasted state. Jen, do you want to jump in with any thoughts on that? I mean, they're two separate things. We have healing, we have weight loss. So she asked if, is she having healing going on in her 20 to 22 hour fasts, but she hasn't lost any weight. So that's really two separate issues. Yes, I think she's having healing going on, but we don't just say, oh, you're healing just to pacify you so that you'll stop asking why are you not losing weight? (laughs) Those are two separate things. Yes, I'm certain there's healing going on. Now let's talk about how you can get the weight loss to start up, right? Those are the two separate things. So the healing, yes, we don't just say healing so that you'll shut up and go away. And no, we say healing because yes, there's healing going on. And for me, I, I'm personally much more passionate now about the healing process. Not that it's more important than losing weight, but I almost see losing weight as a part of the healing process in a way. Well, right. That's why I say intermittent fasting is the health plan with the side effect of weight loss. Healing is, of course, much more important. Really, we don't want to be skinny and unhealthy. We want to be healthy. 
We want health more than anything, but we also want to lose the weight that we, we need to lose, especially if we have a significant amount to lose. So it is very frustrating. You know, people don't want to hear, oh, don't worry about it. You're getting healthy. If they're also 80 pounds overweight and not losing any weight. But that's what we see people struggle with in the Facebook groups every day. You know, they're doing something like this 20 to 22 hours of fasting a day and their weight is staying the same. And so, you know, maybe they're getting better numbers at the doctor's office, their A1C might be going down, and that's great, but they also want to lose the weight. So, Laura, if you're really doing 20 to 22-hour fast every day, squeaky clean, like you say you are, and I believe you, then there's something stopping your body from burning the fat. So... I would suspect it has to do with your body has adapted to this window. I have a blog post about this. Can your body adapt to your eating window or to your fasting plan? And it actually can if you keep it really consistent day to day. We talk about how fasting is protective of our metabolisms, but our bodies are crafty. If you do the same thing day in, day out, even with fasting, even with clean fasting, your body can slow things down. And that is why an alternate daily fasting approach or an up and down day approach really might be your best bet to shake things up. You know, someone who's been plugging along with a daily eating window, one meal a day for six months consistently, that 10 to 15% quote bad that you're talking about with food, that's not it. You know, you don't have to be 100% clean eating to see results. But what you, you need to do is work with the body that you have right now. So, If you have delay, don't deny, I would reread that up and down day chapter. But in a nutshell, you're going to want to, it's really kind of like a calorie cycling kind of idea. Of course, we say counting calories is is flawed. We know that. But you want to have the up and down pattern of eating. So you can do something between a 36-12 or a 42-6 where you're fasting for 36 to 42 hours at a time, followed by an eating window of 6 to 12 hours. That's what's so important, though, that refeed day after the longer fast where you have an eating window of 6 to 12 hours, maybe something like 8 hours, maybe 2 meals, maybe 3. That's the part that is protective of metabolism because it boosts the metabolic rate. Even if you overeat on that up day, that's okay. Overeating studies show that it boosts our metabolic rate. So if your metabolism has slowed down to the point that it's adapted to that 20 to 22 hour fast and then your short two to four hour eating window, shaking it up really makes a difference. So you have the slightly longer fast, 36 to 42 hours, lets you really get deep into that fat burning state. And then you have the higher day where you're eating in the six to 12 hour eating window that allows your body to upregulate your metabolism in response to more food. And so you do not adapt. I know a lot of people are scared of the idea of a 36 to 42 hour fast because that means you wake up one day and you don't eat at all. And then you go to bed without eating and it sounds extreme, but it's a very well-researched strategy. In fact, we talked last week on the podcast about the latest study that just came out was an ADF protocol, up day, down day. You can even do the down days instead of a full 36 to 42 hour fast. You can have one 500 calorie meal in there. So fast, clean all the way up to that, have your small meal and then begin the clean fast again. And then the next day, consider it an up day. And again, that's where you need to have the longer eating window of at least six hours. You want to have at least two meals because we're trying to get that metabolism up 
instead of, you know, sticking to that same day in, day out. You know, I talk about how I do one meal a day, but it's really important to understand that I do not, and I never have kept it super consistent day to day. There was a brief period of time in 2015 when I was almost to goal that I was sticking to about a two hour eating window every day, but it was only for 10 weeks. And other than that, I tend to be one of those people that every now and then I'll have, you know, a two meal day. And so I don't keep it too consistent over time. My body naturally varies how much I eat. And so I don't get into the rut of it being the same. And I do think that anything that's too consistent over time can cause your body to adapt. Our body likes to find a rhythm and stick to it and then not release the weight. You got to shake it up. That's good. (laughs) Do you want to address her second question? The question about, does she only burn fat? I mean, I think that she's going down the wrong path here as far as worrying about that. If she's fasting for 20 to 22 hours a day, you don't have to have a metallic taste in your mouth to get into ketosis. I think it's unlikely that you're refilling your glycogen stores in a two to four hour daily window, unless you're like super duper overeating, which I doubt that you're doing. And she wants to know if you can be in ketosis and not burn fat. I mean, ketosis comes from fat. So that's where it's coming from. So you can be in ketosis and not burning your own body fat if you're taking in a whole lot of fat, like, for example, bulletproof coffee or taking MCT oil during the fast. But she's not doing that. But you you would be in ketosis based on what you're eating, not from your body fat. But if you are fasting and getting into ketosis during the fast, it's coming from your body fat. Yeah, so... Ketones, like Jen said, they have to be created from fat. So you are burning fat, but we can't guarantee where the fat's coming from. But if you're fasted, it's most likely from body fat. But, you know, a lot of people don't get that same metallic taste. And so then they're like, oh, this isn't working. And then they also will try to test their ketones. And really, the more I have learned over time, more people are starting to say, oh, yeah, that's right. Measuring your ketones is really not something I would recommend that you you waste your time doing because even blood ketones, as your body becomes really good at using ketones, they're not going to be hanging around in your blood. So having a lot of ketones hanging around or excreting a lot of ketones in your breath or your urine is a sign that you're not efficiently using them. It's not a sign that you're making so many. Exactly. All right. Shall we go to the next question? Yes. All right. So this comes from Eva. The subject is conflicting info. And Eva says, I was lucky enough to find your podcasts. I'm new to both worlds, podcasting and IF, but excited to learn. Thank you for all your work. I read this today and was wondering what you found in your studies to explain this thought. Then she copied the paragraph where she says they were explaining that it's okay to have the occasional chocolate cake while dieting. And so what she copied says, Quote, what's more, studies show that having the occasional cheat meal or treat can actually help you achieve your weight loss goals faster. A cheat meal can boost the metabolism by increasing leptin, the anti-starvation hormone that sends hunger messages to the body. When your body senses a calorie deficit, leptin levels drop, prompting the metabolism to slow down and conserve energy. Throwing a calorie-rich cheat meal or treat into the mix tricks your system into thinking food is plentiful and that it's okay to burn through fat stores. All right, so cheat meals. Jen, what are your thoughts? Well, this dovetails beautifully with what I just said when I was talking to to Laura and her question. And, you know, I hate the word cheat. When we're talking about intermittent fasting and eating, you don't cheat. I just really hate that idea because it's so negative, but it's out there in the diet world. But 
just with, I said about alternate daily fasting, you have the longer eating days. Those are definitely metabolic boosting days. So yeah, definitely. Studies are very clear that overeating or having a day where you eat more food is protective of metabolic rate. That's the whole premise of alternate daily fasting. So yes, don't call it a cheat meal though, people. Call it a planned indulgence. You're choosing to eat more. You're not cheating. There is no cheating. You're not married to intermittent fasting. You can't cheat on it. You cheat on your taxes. You, I mean, don't cheat on your taxes. I'm not suggesting that you, but cheating is a bad thing. So you're not choosing to cheat. You're choosing to have more food and that's a good thing. So I have a slightly different perspective on the question. <laughs> so... I think yes and no. I think on the one hand, I think this is more applicable to a situation where somebody is doing chronic calorie restriction dieting and never really having that feasting boosted stimulus. So benefiting from this quote cheat meal might ramp up the metabolism. I feel like it's less applicable for a lot of people in the intermittent fasting situation where they are having a quote nightly feast every night. So they might not necessarily need that metabolic boost because their metabolism never slowed down in the first place. So I think it could be used as an excuse to overindulge unnecessarily and maybe put an extra burden on the body that isn't necessary. I mean, I'm all down for enjoying food and having a feast and a wonderful time, but I don't think We necessarily, I mean, it's so individual and it depends on the context, but I don't think we need to indulge in it. A lot of people might not need to indulge in it for the pure purpose of boosting their metabolism if their metabolism never slowed in the first place. So that's my first thought. But then again, there might be some people who are, you know, unnecessarily, or maybe they're not even aware that they're restricting in their fasting window and would benefit from that. We're like Laura that we just heard from. Like, I really think we just see that so much, especially when people have a rich diet history and they've dieted a lot over the years. They tend to be the ones who a daily eating window approach, they tend to just plateau and need something a little different just because they get into that routine. And the idea of of feasting, I can certainly eat a ton. (laughs) My idea of a feast is definitely not you know, what I eat in a normal day is not low calorie or or a little amount of food. But I think a lot of people do fall into that trap and they're not meaning to. It's just behavior they've picked up over time and they have a little bit of food. And I think a lot of people, instead of having this huge cheat meal where they eat all the things to boost their metabolism, I think a healthier, longer term approach might be having lengthening their eating window and eating to satiety in a longer eating window on some days. That's just my personal opinion. I think that would be less inflammatory for the body than depending on your constitution and your digestive state, having this huge quote, cheat meal. Also something I wanted to point out was it's kind of ironic because yes, it is true that, you know, a calorie deficit causes leptin levels to drop and leptin actually is a hormone responsible for satiety So a few caveats there, when you are losing weight, your leptin levels are most likely going to naturally drop. So it does correlate to metabolism, but also correlates to the amount of body fat you have stored. And then at the same time, we know that inflammation, and this is another nuanced caveat I wanted to throw in, was inflammation blocks leptin signaling. So in this 
paragraph that she quoted, they mention a cheat meal. I don't know if they talked about the chocolate cake, but she mentioned the chocolate cake. So depending on what you're eating in that quote cheat meal, I think is also really important because if you decide to have this cheat meal where you want to eat a ton of things, which may be inflammatory for your body, hoping to raise your leptin levels. If it's an inflammatory cheat feast, (laughs) that can actually block leptin signaling and might create the opposite effect that you're anticipating. I agree with Jen. I don't like the word cheat meal, but I think if you are going to have this sort of metabolism boosting meal, I would really, really encourage listeners to, if it is this high caloric meal, to make it a nutritious meal that suits your digestion compared to if you want to eat something which may be inflammatory to you, I would actually suggest not having that in the context of a quote cheat meal because I think the body would be much better able to handle it than when it's thrown in with a high caloric load on top of that. That's why a lot of people who talk about like cyclical dieting, like the work of Dr. Pompa or having, you know, especially people who are like doing keto for a while and then they have like carb up days, it's actually often encouraged to do on the carb up days to actually do like high carb, low fat rather than all the macronutrients all at once, because it can be like a huge burden on your body and your body might be better able to process certain substrates depending on you when they're not all at once, which could be a little bit inflammatory. So I think it's complicated and I would just like to encourage listeners to eradicate the word cheat meal from their vocabulary and instead look at these metabolism boosting meals as, I don't know, I I think we can be smart about it. And then I would save the quote cheat meal for like a special occasion. So if you're at, you know, some sort of birthday celebration or Thanksgiving or Christmas, let that be a natural cheat meal as it were. I just, again, I reject the whole idea of anything being a cheat meal. Thanksgiving is not a cheat meal. It's Thanksgiving. I'm feasting with my family. And so I just don't want anything to be thought of as a cheat meal. Like the whole wording cheat meal makes us automatically think it's some kind of an unhealthy fast food, crap food binge when really the wording is the problem. Yeah. I'm just using the word cheat meal because that's the way it's talked about in this question, but I agree completely. Awesome. This is from Ellie, not Ellie, my cat, but a different Ellie. Hello, Ellie. I love your name. (laughs) And the subject is cheat days. Ellie says, hi, I've just started intermittent fasting two weeks on 16-8, and after a few trial days, this will be my first week on 20, hmm, she says 25, but she might either mean 24 or 19-5, so we're just going to go with either of those. She's doing somewhere between 19-5 and 24. All right, Ellie says, I love your format of answering questions and often find the answer on one of your podcasts, so sorry if this has already been asked. I work six days a week. And when Sunday rolls around, I just want to cheat. If I abandon the five-hour window for one day a week and maybe even eat something cheaty, such as chocolate or ice cream, etc., will it totally undo all my hard work from the week or is it okay for just one day? I guess my real question is, if I don't do IF one day a week, will I still see results? Is it enough to stop my body going into ketosis? Thank you and keep up the great work. Love from the UK. And then she has the little XX kiss kiss, which a lot of people from the UK do. We have a, a moderator in our group who's from Scotland, and we were just having this conversation. 
in the moderator group, she likes to put the little XX. It's a very UK thing. So Ellie, just like we we just talked about with Eva and the whole idea of cheating. No, it's not cheating to have chocolate or ice cream once a week. I have chocolate or ice cream and it might even be more than once a week and that's okay. So I understand that you're doing your six days a week of your five hour daily eating window. And then on Sunday, you might want to have a slightly longer eating window. You need to just figure out if that works for you. For me, when I was trying to lose weight, it was important for me to stick to something like 19.5. I needed to do it seven days a week to lose weight. And I don't have to do it now. Yesterday, I had a seven-hour eating window and I had two meals because I happened to be hungrier yesterday. So I listened to my body and I had lunch. By the way, Melanie, I had some bona fide soup. It was the butternut squash soup and it was delicious. That was my lunch. And I put a bunch of crackers in it, Ritz crackers, which probably you would not be using, but I loved them. And I also added some extra heavy cream and it was delicious, but it made me so happy. And my body needed that that day. Did I cheat? Nope. I had a longer window because my body told me I needed it. But if I were trying to lose weight right now, I might would have pushed through that a little bit and said, uh, maybe I can just wait and open my window a little later. So there's a delicate balance between what can you do when you're trying to lose weight versus, you know, once you get to maintenance and you're truly learning to listen to your body, you may be able to, to do six days a week of 19.5 just fine and have a longer eating window once a week and find that you meet all of your goals. But we can't tell you whether you will or not. You're going to have to try and see. So if you do it for a month or two and you're not losing any weight, then you know what to tighten up. And is it enough to stop your body going into ketosis? Well, I find that if I have several days of longer eating windows or if I drink too much alcohol for my body, then I do feel a little draggy. You do have to bring down those glycogen stores over time and you'll know it when you feel it. You know, if every Sunday you have a really long eating window and eat all the things and then every Monday you're dragging and you don't don't feel good till, you know, 4 p.m., then that's your body telling you what's going on. You'll learn to listen. You'll learn to figure it out for yourself. If you wake up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed on Monday and you feel fabulous, then you know that's fine for you. So I think there are two ways to address this question as far as am I undoing everything by having this one day off plan. From a pure weight loss perspective, it's highly unlikely that you're going to eat so much in that one day that you undid six days of, if you were losing weight for six days. That said, you know, as Jim was saying, you might need to rein it in to see consistent weight loss. But then I do think there is another layer here where I know she's coming from a weight loss perspective, but for people who are focusing on other things. So for example, maybe they're trying to change the cellular fatty acid component of their cells or something like that. Like trans fats, for example, if somebody's trying to change their cellular membranes and the fatty acids that those are made of, the turnover rate and the half-life of fats within cells can be very, very long. So I don't know if this applies to Ellie specifically because I don't know you know, her goals and what sort of dietary approach she's following. But for, for those who are following a dietary approach to address inflammation or food intolerances or things like that, going off plan with a quote cheat day 
could create lasting damage that could, in a way, undo a lot of things up until that point. It's been posited, for example, I don't know if this is true, I need to do further research, but that trans fats, for example, might have a half-life of around over a month and a half. So basically, if you've been avoiding trans fats, like, you know, French fries from McDonald's or something like that, and then you have just one meal, it's quite possible that those fatty acids are affecting your membrane still a month and a half later. For people, I've talked a lot about polyunsaturated fats in this podcast before, If people are trying to address their omega-3-6 ratio, that also has a very, very lengthy half-life in the body. I mean, that's been posited to be very long. So having one, you know, super high omega-6 meal could lead to the storage of those fats for a very lengthy amount of time, like months and months. For people with autoimmune conditions, having this one meal, depending on their digestive state, might create problems that last longer than you would think that just that one meal. So I think there are two ways to look at it from a pure like weight loss perspective. There's that. But then if you're looking at from like a health perspective, it really just depends on your goals. So I think it's a complicated thing. But in the context of Ellie's question with the weight loss, I would revert to Jen's answer. (laughs) But for anybody else who has like a similar question, but they're coming from like an autoimmune perspective or an inflammatory perspective, I think proceed with caution. All right. So the next question comes from Trish and the subject is ketosis and breaking the fast. And Trish says, I love your podcast. My question is I practice 18, six. And if I am in a fasted state from the night before and had some cream and stevia in my coffee in the AM and then nothing else until the afternoon, usually between one to four, wouldn't I get back into ketosis slash autophagy quite quickly after the coffee, even though I am technically breaking my fast. I know you will both encourage me to do a clean fast, but I'm still curious. Well, Trish, you could also eat a little bit of a muffin and then get back into, I mean, ignore the fact that it's cream and stevia. It's fat, it's calories, it's sweetness. I mean, anything that you have, like with food, like the cream, that's food for the body. It stops the fast. When will you get back in it? I mean, you know, you'll get back into it. Like I said, you could eat a little bit of a muffin. You could have some eggs, whatever that you could possibly imagine. So the fact that it's coffee with cream and stevia is such a stumbling point because people want to have that ritual of the coffee. And so they're looking for any kind of a reason. Well, it won't affect me much. It isn't very long. I'm going to get back into the fasted state. But replace the idea of it being coffee with cream and stevia with you're having a muffin with the exact same caloric content or whatever. And would that make sense? Would you do that? No. So I'm a big believer if you want to fast, fast. If you want to have an eating window, open your eating window and have whatever you want. But I would not do that. It's also going to make it really harder for you because if I had a little cream and stevia, I'm going to be really hungry. And then I'm going to have to white knuckle it for the rest of the time. And that's miserable for me. So I don't know why you would do that. Save the coffee, have a decaf in the afternoon with your cream and whatever you want and have it your way. But in the morning, I can't think of a single reason why that would be a good idea. Yes. So Trish, I'm going to give you my honest opinion and answer. And I I realize that you could probably use this as an excuse to do what Jen just said. (laughs) I do think it's true that if you take in a super small amount of calories 
yes, you're most likely going to get back into the fasted state faster than had you had an entire meal because there's less to process. You are going to get into the fasted state faster. I can see though how people are going to very easily, like Jen just said, use that as an excuse to keep in things that are most likely hindering them and short-circuiting their benefits from fasting. Particularly with stevia, it is a highly potent, it affects insulin very potently. We talked about this before, actually can encourage the release of insulin, which could be a primary mechanism for how it reduces blood sugar. And we know that so many of the benefits of fasting come from reduced insulin. So say you have stevia in your coffee, you might not be taking in any calories. You're still quote fasted, but you're short circuiting the health benefits of fasting because one of the health benefits is the reduced insulin, yet you're increasing the insulin. So there are a lot of factors at play. Same could go, for example, like if you eat a piece of fruit that might get processed really, really quickly. And yes, you might get back into the fasted state really, really quickly, but you're short-circuiting the clean fast. So the honest answer is yes, <laughs> I think we'll get back into the, the fast quicker, but I don't encourage you to do it. And I also think about it as when you get deeper into the fastest state, think of like a roller coaster, okay? Think of like the little children's roller coaster with the little caterpillar and you're like going up and down, up and down, up and down. And the down is when you're getting into the fasted state and then the up is when you have something to eat and then the down, you're not getting very deep into the fasted state because you've had that cream. So you might be able to get back into it a little bit, then you're back out of it and you're not really getting the benefits. But now imagine you're fasting clean and that's the big daddy with the big steep hill and you're going down, 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 down. You know, you're going faster and faster and faster. And so, you know, speed picks up. Well, think about the fasting benefits in that same way. You got the momentum of the fast going longer. The benefits are picking up versus you want to ride that little kitty ride where you're going up and down and up and down and up and down. And isn't that cute? But yeah, you're not really getting any thrills versus the big steep hill of like, woo, here we go. So think about it like that. It just seems like, you know, you got to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. For me, the clean fast is yes, it's so that we really get deeply into the fasted state, but gosh, it's so much easier than it is to have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's so much easier. So even if there weren't benefits to the fasting, there are benefits to the fact that your body is cruising along on ketones and not having to switch back and forth. And, you know, when you get into that fed state, I just remember the days of when I didn't understand about stevia and how hard it was for me to fast. Yep. Shall we go on to the next question? All right. So we have a very short and sweet question from Laura. It is short and sweet. That made a joke. And the subject is ice cream. And Laura says, do you ever treat yourself to ice cream during your eating window? Yeah. So I just had to throw this in there because it just made me laugh. I mean, it was just so like random. <laughs> but I feel like it's a good way to end our podcast, especially given our all of our conversations about the cheat meals and all the things. So Jen... Do you ever treat yourself to ice cream during your eating window? I absolutely love ice cream. And, you know, I've talked before on the podcast about how I've realized that sugar is not my friend. If I have too much of it, it gives me restless legs. And that is absolutely true. Ice cream, though, is really, I think it's probably because of the high fat content with the dairy fat. 
maybe just because I eat like just a reasonable portion of it. But when I eat ice cream, if I have like a small amount of ice cream, I'm less likely to have the restless leg problem. Like if I had brownies, I'd probably suffer. But (laughs) ice cream is my favorite sweet treat to have when I am going to have something with sugar in it. And I'm less likely to have the restless legs. So yes, ice cream is one of my favorites. I'm not eating it as much as I used to because I can overconsume it and then have restless legs. If I eat a little bit though, I'm okay. But yeah, I love it. Yeah. So for me in the past, I would do actually, there was a really nice ice cream made from kefir by Lifeway. They had like an unflavored kefir ice cream. So I would have that on occasion. I really liked it. I don't do well with dairy. It makes me break out and feel sort of mucusy and everything like that. I used to experiment a little bit with like almond milk ice creams and things like that. I don't now just because I am so hesitant about polyunsaturated fats. So current melanie does not have ice cream (laughs) at all. But if I were to have ice cream now, I would probably want to do one made from coconut milk because that's going to be rich in saturated fats. And I think that could actually probably be very nourishing for the body. And actually, (laughs) this is so appropriate, Jen, because when I wrote What When Wine, I wasn't even as concerned about polyunsaturated fats as I am now from things like nuts and seeds. And I mean, processed foods, of course, but there is in my book, it's called dreamy dairy-free vanilla ice cream recipe. And I'm really excited because I forgot what I had Ariane make it with. Oh, by the way, can I just pitch really quickly? Ariane Resnick, she developed the recipes for what when wine. She's amazing, but she actually has an amazing book that came out yesterday called How to Be Well When You're Not. I just want to plug it because it's absolutely amazing for anybody who struggles with chronic illness or feels like they're stuck in a situation where they're never going to get better or they're never going to heal. Sorry for the plug, but her book is just so amazing and I it was just so encouraging. I actually have her on my new podcast, the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. So that was a huge tangent, but her book, she, she provides like very implementable tools to deal with chronic illness. So it's not like, here's how to get better. It's how to reframe your mindset and understand how it's affecting your identity, how to get through the day, how to know you're going to get better, practical habits and things that you can try and practices. And then she has recipes as well. So it's amazing. And then Pink, the singer, (laughs) wrote the foreword because Ariane is actually Pink's chef. But in any case, Ariane did the recipes for what went wine and she created a fantastic vanilla ice cream recipe that is dairy free and it's made from coconut milk. So if you'd like an ice cream recipe, I definitely recommend you check that out. And then there's also alternative versions you can make to make it fruity or if you want to add some chocolate to it. So if you're going to have ice cream, I would recommend checking out what went wine. So... All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go, the show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 129. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. Also, we are a Himalaya partnered show. And if you follow us in the Himalaya app, you will get early access to our podcast 24 hours in advance. So definitely check that out. You can follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. All right. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? Nope. I think we had another 
great episode. And remember, everyone, there is no cheating. Get that word out of your vocabulary. No cheating. I agree. Fabulous. (laughs) All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.